You're listening to the B-Fox and B-Frank show, final episode of this 2018-19 college basketball season. Sad to say, um, also a little sad to say, Virginia won the national championship, beating Texas Tech in what was, uh, ended up being a pretty high-scoring game, actually. We had a lot of points. A lot of points. For anyone who had the under, it was doomed once I bet it. I told everyone I knew, fade it, go with the over, take, do whatever you can. Could, did not anticipate overtime, nor did I anticipate 80-plus points by one of these teams, but here we are. Yeah, I mean, especially the way the game started. Mm-hmm. Um, it was, I mean, looking back now, it was very clearly a feeling-out period, both right. teams. You know, just kind of figuring out how to attack the others, you know, pretty much equally formidable defense. And then right. the game eventually became more free-flowing. But the first, you know, for, through the first two media timeouts, brutal. Everything that everyone was afraid this game was going to be, it was. Um, and then, I mean, people were getting tweets off. I got tweets off. Um, and then... Fortunately for my sanity and everyone else's, this became a phenomenal game. Um, and I, I think just looking back on the game as a whole, I don't think anyone can say, you know, some of the things that were being thrown out before the game, like, you know, this is bad for college basketball matchup like this, mm-hmm. um, regardless of style, but just like two not name brands. Um, yeah. I mean, pretty clearly show that they could be entertaining, um, I mean, in the semis and then playing each other in the final. There are a lot of things to unpack about this game. I think the first two that I uh, – first few, I guess. I don't know how many it's going to end up being because I just go and go and go. And I think um, this was like the anti-college football playoff title. These are two teams <clears> – excuse me – two teams that have never been there before, uh, never won it at least – Texas Tech had never been there. They, I don't know, it, it was, yes, a feeling out period for sure early on. And you could tell because we heard the shot clock go off like three of the first six possessions. Teams weren't taking shots until about four to three seconds left in the shot clock, really forcing it up late. I will say, though, early on, Texas Tech looks way out of whack. Offensively, they looked completely fooled by this Virginia defense. While Virginia was getting open looks, they just weren't hitting them. They were, they were running their offense. They had good ball movement. They just couldn't hit the shots. Um, this was also the absolute casual versus, you know, air quote, real college basketball fan game where everyone's like, oh, you know, this is just such great defense. If you can't appreciate it, you're just not a real fan. You just like it casually. And the casual fans are like, yeah, this sucks. I hate this. Why, why are we watching it? And uh, fortunately, like you said, it turned out to be a completely different game where there were <laughs> there was a period of time where it was up and down, run and gun. Teams were hitting shots quickly and getting up and down the floor. I mean, we saw every matchup that we could have wanted to see. The guards went at it. Moretti and Mooney had their shine. Guy and Jerome had their big plays. And then we had the stars of the two teams, Jared Culver and DeAndre Hunter, who are essentially carbon copies of each other, much like these two teams, really go at it. The only thing we were missing was the big men. And Jack Salt barely played. Jay Huff barely played. Tariq Owens fouled out. 
with like six minutes left in the game. Odiase struggled with uh, foul trouble, and both teams decided to just go small, and it kind of worked out. But it it was a fun game. I actually I thought I was going to have to be the guy to sit here and be like, I re- actually really liked the game. It was a lot of fun, but the game ended up doing it itself. I think this was infinitely more exciting than the college football title. I'm going to say that right now. Yeah, definitely. And part of the part of the fatigue with the college football playoff is, you know, as we've talked about, there kind of seems to be a couple of places reserved at the table every year. Yep. Not really any fresh blood, whereas that is exactly what this was. Um, I mean, the Final Four in general, Michigan State, you know, been here plenty of times under Izzo, but Auburn, Texas Tech, Virginia. Um, I mean, Auburn and Texas Tech – really have never been super relevant in basketball. Um, Virginia hasn't been in a while. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, it's it's fresh, and it is it is good to mix it up from, you know, just having Duke and Kentucky every year, and I think most reasonable people in the country would agree, save for those two fan bases. Right. Um, but, yeah, the, the stars played like stars for the most part. I do want to say, though, um, like Texas Tech as a whole played a phenomenal tournament. Jarrett Culver was not that good. Really, it really didn't. Um, and yeah. it, it kind of started um, being talked about in the Gonzaga game where many people were saying, you know, if Culver just has an okay game, this is, you know, a comfortable win. You take, I mean, you take away the game against Northern Kentucky, obviously, near triple double in that one. Um, and it played okay against Michigan too, but especially the the elite eight on the final three games, where you know stars are supposed to play like stars. See DeAndre Hunter and Kyle Guy. His best shooting performance in those three games was twenty six percent from the field. Yeah, finished five for twenty two in the championship game, zero for six on threes. And I understand Virginia is a good defensive team, but as you might remember, Texas Tech is also a good defensive team. And Virginia Stars, the aforementioned Hunter and Guy, still found a way to get going. Um, knocked down four threes each. Obviously, Hunter, the biggest um, of the game, sending it into overtime. It's it's not it's not great optically to end the season. Um, I don't want to pile on too hard because obviously they wouldn't have been able to make that run without him. Yep. Um, you know, put in the work in the regular season, Big Twelve Player of the Year, but. You, you have to wonder at least a little bit what could have been um, if he was able to play at, you know, 60% of his normal level. Yeah. Um, but I will say also Francis did pick up a lot of that off the bench. He did. Him and Edwards were great off the bench, as they have been pretty much in all the games that uh, Culver wasn't. Pretty much mm-hmm. every game that he didn't play well, one of those two guys was popping up off the bench, hitting a couple threes to really settle things down. And then obviously, Final Four, you had Matt Mooney with 22, exploding for that point total. Moretti was great throughout the tournament. Up until the Final Four, he, he kind of slowed down a little bit. And then you got guys like Tariq Owens and Odiase putting in extra work down low on a team that's really a little more guard-oriented, especially given the style of play that they like to use. Um but yeah, this kind of felt like one of those scenarios where you're trying to be like spoon-fed a star and told this guy is actually really good. You just have to wait and see when it actually happens. 
but Culver was good. Like all season long, he was great for this team. And then it's out of no, you know, right towards the end of the season, teams key on him, which had been a, you know, had been a point of emphasis for other teams, I'm sure, going into that game. But it's finally, you know, you get down to the eight best teams in the country, and it's going to be a little bit tougher for a star like that to really get his shots off. But early on in this game, I think their biggest problem was they would just isolate and say, go get a bucket for us. And he would have to like dribble around and take a contested shot. And when you don't see the ball go in six times in the first half, seven times in the first half, whatever it was, it can get real frustrating real quick. And that definitely was detrimental to the, to, to the start of that game for Texas tech. Yeah, and Virginia is not the team to do that against. Mm-hmm. Like they're, their whole identity is, you know, forming we want pack you line and yeah, and not allowing you a clear line. Um, but yeah, that was that was part of the the sort of feeling out period. And I don't know, I don't have a dog in the fight, but got to be a little frustrated because um, again, it's not not isolated incidents. Um, struggling ever since the Gonzaga game, really, and. He's going to uh, go to the league, presumably, and have a fine career. It's it's not like you're saying we're kind of waiting for him to be good. Um, like he's very clearly a good player, even when he's you know not scoring or anything, just with the ball, making a move. He's got a lot of size and athleticism. That I mean, you saw it you late can... in the game when he made that move on Hunter at the top of the key. Like that's yeah. a pro move right there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but. Didn't really come together, um, and interestingly enough, like he was, he was the biggest player on the floor for a good portion of the game for Texas Tech, asking him to do a lot of different things. Because mm-hmm. with Owen's injury, um, back and forth, Odiase, um, I mean, didn't even play twenty minutes himself. So it was a lot of small ball lineups, a lot of minutes for Francis off the bench. I mean, because he was so hot, and yep. that's kind of how you have to match up with. Virginia team, like you mentioned, wasn't really playing Huff or Salt, two guys who could be back-to-the-basket players. So it was kind of this this more wide-open um, style of play, which you know basketball has obviously been going to. Um, but you still see a lot of hangers-on in terms of like back-to-the-basket big men in college. Certainly a team like Michigan State um, still employs that heavily. But these two teams, the way that they set up, um, for as defensive oriented as they are, they're able to play a much more free flowing style of basketball, and I think that really took over in the second half and made it a lot more enjoyable of a game to watch. For sure, and like we said, the the feeling out process sucked, but we got five extra minutes, so they kind of made up for it on the back they did. end. Um, I mean, that not free basketball, but basketball at a lower rate. Correct. Correct. They. Uh, they did make up for it. Um, I want to talk a little bit. This is my thing. I wrote about it right after the game, so it was kind of fresh in my head. But I didn't mention the trip, tripping call, where it looked like Kyle Guy got tripped up by his own teammate and then you know hits a pair of free throws in overtime, I think it was. They're down three in overtime. I can't remember when exactly it was. But the out-of-bounds on Moretti, where it's like super slow-mo, slowed down, and you can see it off his hand. I get that instant replay is there for, you know, making the right call. But I think it should be, like, within human capabilities, right? Isn't that what replay is about, to to make the call in 
like when, when a human can actually see it. To be fair, my dad did say right away. He's like, I think that's off Texas Tech. But yeah, I'm, I don't know. I'm extremely conflicted on that. Yes. It, like, is I it was, the right call at the end of the day? Yeah, I think yes. I think it looked like it went off of his hand, and Virginia should have had the ball. But are we expecting you or I to get on the floor, run down the court as a referee, have our like your head obviously be on the play? But are you expected to see that as all that is going on and just see the like the little tip off his finger? I don't know. I don't know, and that's only a thing in the last two minutes too. Yes, like, which. Is weird, but like not certainly not advocating for doing replay every time there's a ball out of bounds. Mm-hmm. Um, but like it seemed like you could kind of see it coming as they as they delved deeper and deeper into the the angles and slowing it down frame and they by got frame. Like the high super high def cameras that go slow. Yeah. I'm like, it, I mean, what it is just going felt on? like it just felt like such a narc move. Yeah. just being like, yeah, it's not because. I was surprised they even went to replay in the first place because it looked pretty logically. Uh, yeah, he, not, he knocked it. He knocked it out of bounds away from Moretti. The ball went in the same direction that the defender's hand did, mm-hmm. which is usually a clear sign, fairly easy yeah. way to tell. Um, yeah, but I don't want to say like don't make the right call if you're like. I'd prefer you just don't use replay in that instance and just give the ball right. back to the offense. Um. But, I mean, if you are going to replay, which it seems like we're just married to more and more, and you see it there, like, you can't really ignore that. But it's it's annoying that that is kind of where we're at. And the the tripping play you mentioned, that was that was interesting, too, because I, I really first noticed it after the game when people started posting about it um, with videos on Twitter. Didn't really give it a second thought during the broadcast because, as people were pointing out, like they did not they didn't show, show replay, replay yeah. anything. Like, didn't really have a reason to suspect anything was not as it should be. Um, which I guess too trusting, but right. Yeah, that was the, that was interesting to look back. At. Yeah, those. <laughs> yes, exactly. That was interesting to look at after the fact and. I mean, you can get you can get on your tinfoil hat about a lot of these things as we've seen the last several games, all of them involving Virginia. Um, so they've built up some good karma, but at the end of the day, you can like they were put in these situations almost, and they won. Yeah, like you can pick apart almost any call in a college basketball game. Um, and I reserve the right do. to get bad, mad about officiating next year yes. um, during an Indiana game. Yes, but in this moment, like it's it's very easy to pick apart like calls down the like over the course of a game, and for the most part, they don't directly affect the outcome because right. they're gonna they're gonna miss some in both directions. Um, I don't think anybody's out here arguing that college refs are perfect. Mm-hmm. They are, are far. Crazy. They are far from it. Yeah, <laughs> you're clearly not watching. You're just box score reading and assuming yeah. everyone did their job. Um, but <laughs> like they'll they'll miss calls and they'll miss them in both directions. Um, there's some some egregious stuff, but for example, like the foul on Auburn, we established 
was a foul um, in the semifinal game. You could go back. Was that a double dribble? Probably. Did the defender grab his shirt before the double dribble trying to foul? Yeah, probably. They didn't call that either. So you can, I mean, you can keep going back and and creating alternate timelines, um, but ultimately not going to solve anything. And at the end of the day, all it does is put another team in a position. Like, it's not putting points or taking points away because Kyle Guy still has to hit all three free throws against Auburn for them to win. He has to hit these two free throws, and then they have to go on and score more points to win this game. It's not... I get it puts him in a better position than he would have been because that would have probably been a turnover because he tripped and fell out of bounds. But that I all it does is give him another chance. I guess I'm talking myself into a hole here. But anyways, I actually – I'm going to say this, and any Texas Tech fan listening to this is going to be livid, but those were a little iffy. I thought the officials actually weren't bad last night. Like I really didn't find any major problems, and – I think almost every college basketball game, as we've talked about at length over the last two years, has major issues in it. I think you can, like we were just saying, you can find any game where there's going to be a big problem. I thought they actually did pretty good last night. Yeah, and I mean, I am saying enough to admit I'm being this rational because there are no teams I like involved in these games. So, yeah, it's a lot easier to be objective. Um, but yeah, I don't think that's an unreasonable take at all. Weird, um, weird giving referees somewhat of a yeah, compliment. Good, good job. Not <laughs> completely screwing everything up, but not a huge fan of that replay. Uh, no. I'm out of bounds. Um, yeah. So, I mean, that's Ty Jerome that's was taking season. some bad shots last night too, late in the game. I don't know. I don't know what that is. I don't know why. But I could hear every forty to sixty year old uh, white male in America screaming, "Use the backboard!" Every time he took a floater, he yeah he takes like forty to sixty year old guy shots. He does. Like there was there was one in the first half where he did use the glass, um, but it was at an awkward angle from like thirteen feet away. Nailed it. But yep. he's. He's got a uh, he's got a pretty old man game about him, um, fairly unorthodox um, but effective. I mean, certainly, certainly it's great when he's out there nailing threes too. But he is deceptively good as a driver um, because yeah. he's huge. He's not, too. People don't yeah, realize that. Yeah, I'd like. I, I think it would be easy to assume that that guy is bigger than Jerome, but like he's given up three, four inches to him, and Jerome is not, you know, going to be super fast, but he gets off these creative shots that normally go in with more frequency. Um, It's able to catch the defender off guard. They're not able to better predict and block him, but... Right. Yeah, I mean, he, out of any of the Virginia players, really, he had the worst day from the field overall. Um, You see, the, the three at the end of the first half was huge. But I mean, for the most part, any any bad shots that that he took, I mean, Guy and Hunter, I, I would say more than made up for. Yes, absolutely. And it it just felt like I mean that that last play or late play in the the second half when he 
drove and kicked to Hunter. That felt like an absolute, I'm just going to take this layup to get us points, and then we'll we'll set up the press. And instead he finds Hunter wide open in the corner, which, I mean, hell of a play, and that's something that maybe last season he wouldn't do. And I, I don't want to be this guy, but I feel like, when you get smoked by a 16 seed, it kind of re- makes you reevaluate your entire game. I'm not saying that is directly correlated to this, but I feel like Ty Jerome may have been a little more, I guess, selfish in this situation a year ago or two years ago, whatever it may be. Um, and now he kind of recognizes that, hey, like DeAndre Hunter's a really good player. If we had him last year, we probably wouldn't lose to UMBC. I say probably because you never really know. But Who's to say? Yes. <laughs> um, it's, it, it's just a better play than you – it's the Virginia play. It's kind of what you'd expect them to make. Like, oh, we've got an open layup? No, 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 no. Let's take the open three instead and let's hit it. It's it's actually a Villanova play, I guess, if, if I talk myself through it. Yeah. I mean, if you're a Texas Tech fan and you want to be mad about something, be mad at that play because yeah. conventional wisdom would say, you know, just give up the layup, you'd still be up a point. It's the game, you essentially, if he misses. makes free throws and run out the clock, but I don't know if it's just instinct. Um, they've had all season just to, to not allow any points or what it was, but you had – Multiple guys helping off the three-point line, and Hunter had all the time in the world to. There's set no his feet, reason to leave Hunter. Test in that the wind. Yeah, I mean, this, I mean, this is what I, I was talking about it the other day too. Auburn, like, why is Auburn not face guarding Kyle Guy late in the game? Why are they even allowing him to touch the ball? You've got fouls to give at that point. Like, you should be all over him. Yeah, I mean, Auburn did that twice. They did that yeah. against New Mexico State, too. This is actually a pretty similar play to this one because New Mexico yeah. State in that game like, kind of had a, a wide-open layup but elected to, to go for the three and the win. Um, that's that's really what this reminded me of watching it. Um, Texas Tech not wanting to give up that open layup, way, way over-helping, and then giving up a wide-open three to tie it. Um yeah, it's like you can't do that. It's it's brutal that a team that is so solid defensively all season long has that big a breakdown. Let, some, let somebody off the hook on a defensive breakdown. Yeah, um, but that's that is what happens. Yeah, I, I mean they they just made the right plays when it came down to it. You know, Texas Tech really just they consistently looked lost. I think on offense, and if it weren't for Really, I'd say some of Francis's threes were bailout threes. Um, this game probably would have been a little more out of hand. Like, Hunter did not play well in the first half. If he played even half as well as he did throughout second half and overtime in that first half, they're probably up 15-plus. You know, they had 10-point leads twice or three times in the game, and Texas Tech, credit to them, was able to come back, but it was... Kind of Virginia's own doing, much like we saw against Auburn when uh, Ty Jerome went out with the foul trouble and they blew that late lead. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so really, so many things had to go Virginia's way even to to get into the title game. They um, trailed their last three games with under fifteen seconds left and won all of them. Yeah, like this pretty is wild. this is insane, but. Hats off. I mean, that that's the title game. Holy hell. Yeah. 
sucks to be a Purdue Auburn or Texas Tech. Hate to see it. That's, uh, that's all I'm going to say. Um, okay, so that's yeah, that's it for the season. Um, it's so sad. It went so quick. It, it always does. Um, well, shit. Uh, so, <laughs> so looking back, I guess, um, the season that was, um, did you have any particular favorite moments that, that really stood out? Yeah, I had a lot of random things. Um, I was like I said pre-show. I was just kind of like looking back through the schedule, trying to remember random games that popped up. Um, the first one I wrote down was Buffalo beating West Virginia in Morgantown to like right at the beginning of the season, and CJ Massenburg had forty-three points and fourteen rebounds. It was one of those like continuations slash stamps that Buffalo was actually going to be a good team this year because we'd seen them blow out. Arizona last year in the NCAA tournament and then struggle in the second round. They returned everybody from that team. They were a senior-laden team. We were wondering if it was going to happen, when they were going to play well. You know, wh- What would this team become? At the time, West Virginia was, I believe, a top-15 team. Kanate was still healthy. They didn't dismiss half the program because of issues off the floor. It was... A huge win because of the fact that West Virginia just seemed so poised to be competing for the Big 12. And then out of nowhere, Buffalo just drops 99 and wins in Morgantown to open the year. Yeah, I mean, for me, the the high watermark of the season, honestly, might have been Gonzaga beating Duke at Maui. That, um, that was actually the first thing I wrote down, but... Yeah, um... <laughs> Still, without Killian Tilly, um, who honestly is one of the one of the more disappointing stories of the season, yeah, for me is that he can never really get um, fully healthy. And I mean, it's possible that you know if everything worked out for him health wise, like this would have been his rookie season in the NBA. But yeah, injured before the tournament last year, um, or injured, missed the Florida State game. Could have used him in that, uh, lost that game, came back, tried to get healthy, wasn't able to get healthy, um, ended up playing a very limited role, losing time to Hachimura and Brandon Clark. But maybe that means he'll be back and they'll be back in the top 10 next year. Anyway, um, beating Duke in Maui after the narrative for you know the start of the season was, of course, Duke is invincible because of how they – destroyed annihilated Kentucky. Kentucky like that it's it's hard to fathom at this point in the season looking at the finished products of both teams but that was just an absolute massacre and for for my beloved Zags to go into Maui um, I mean clearly didn't play you know the best first two games struggling with Illinois and Arizona who both turned out to be Pretty shitty, um, but then Illinois was like the most dangerous thirteen-win team in America. Never forget it. I mean, they really are just the way they <laughs> seriously they hound you. <laughs> um, but back and forth game, um, forcing RJ Barrett to to fail at the end there was was very thrilled um, watching that in Indianapolis. Pretty much the only the only person caring about that particular <laughs> game on a a small screen at the bar, but. 
it was a big win. Um, and I, I mean, one of the one of the more exciting non-conference games of the year, certainly. Um, and I would I'd put it up with, there with uh, most of the conference games from the year too. Yeah, I think another point that I had was the big. Someone actually won the Gavit games, which I think probably for you and I is a little more <laughs> Huge uh, news. high water, but. In that, inside that sphere of the Gavit games was the Michigan blowout at Villanova. Because it showed that the defending champs were not nearly themselves anymore. And that's really, I mean, what we saw from Villanova early in the year was exactly what we saw at the end of the year from Villanova. They got absolutely annihilated by Purdue to close the year. They got destroyed by Michigan at home, which never happens. They lost to Furman at home. They just didn't seem to have it for, I would say, half the year. They turned it on a little bit in Big East play, and a lot of that, I think, was fortunate. They got they certainly got a little lucky in some of these games, but then, you know, they started to click in uh, January. But they, they uh, lost a pen as well. So it's like Villanova just had such an up-and-down year. It's a very strange year for the defending champ, especially. You know, you've got two cornerstones of the, the program with Pascal and Phil Booth. You know, Phil Booth had been there for no less than 17 years. He was there when with uh, Randy Foy in the backcourt playing those big games. Scotty Reynolds was, you know, his predecessor. And these were, these were all... Villanova needed to do essentially it felt like was just get Phil Booth the ball and then let him go to work and if he couldn't score then Pascal would take over and that was that but they just never seemed to find it this season still on the biggest and still on um, the biggest <laughs> thanks Marquette um speaking of streaks ending Kansas there it is big 12 over um and I mean very appropriate that you know, for Kansas State, they they do that. They help end the streak and then promptly lose in the first round of the tournament. Yep. Texas Tech having um, much better luck, and I think, I mean, in my opinion, anyway, they were they were clearly the better team out of the two co-champions, um, just on the basis of they actually could score some points. Um, both teams. They're also clearly had very good defenses. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, there are there are other factors at play here. Um, I'd still still take Texas Tech all, all healthy because um, correct. They are a certain, just the better team, though. At a certain point, Dean Wade being out becomes the rule rather than the exception. Right. Um, but like, just the laundry list of things for Kansas that had to go wrong for the streak to finally end is a little ridiculous um, because. Every year until now, um, since the beginning of time, there have been some hiccups during the course of the season. There will be some games, whether it's in the non-conference or during the conference season, where it looks like you know the team is breaking down. They've lost a step. They don't look quite as good as they have been in years past, and they're not going to, you know, keep the streak alive. That's usually mid to late January. Um, but this year... That's when I ask, is it over? Yeah. And then you say, yeah. not yet. This year, Doke out. Vic starts the season on fire, and then he's gone. Um, Quentin Grimes doesn't really pan out into the, you know, beast that 
people might have expected right out of the gates. Um, I mean, Cadefield Austin was a little underwhelming. Charlie Moore never really fit in. Um, it, it eventually turned into Diedrich Lawson um, just trying to do everything. There'd be some spot help from, you know, other guys. But once you started taking a, a close look at it, by the end of the season, Kansas was really thin. And, I mean, their worst season in a while resulted in a four seed and second round of the NCAA tournament. It's not really shedding many tears for them, but they had a chance to play in Kansas City too. Yeah, which is just outrageous. I mean, that's why I was picking them to go to the Elite Eight. Yeah, um, so somebody from that Kansas Auburn matchup did, um, and further. But anyway, <laughs> um, but it is uh, despite all of those things that went wrong with Kansas this season, still a remarkable feat for both Texas Tech and Kansas State to end the streak. Now the next thing we're waiting for is an outright Big 12 champion not named Kansas. Who knows how long that'll take. Yeah, I think Kansas is going to be really good again next year. I hate to say it. It's a bold take. Um, yeah, you know, I hate to go out on a limb like that, but this is, that's that's how I feel. Uh, yeah, it was it was one of those weird years where early on, I mean, you look you look at the start of the season, they beat Michigan State to open they play really well the first couple months or first couple weeks. Then Doak gets hurt, and it's like, oh well, all right. They'll just have to rely on Diedrich Lawson a little bit more, and then LeGerald Vick cools off, and it's like, oh my God, this team cannot score. Like their guards just cannot score. Nobody can shoot the ball. And then Vic gets hot again, and it's like, all right, they're fine. They're back. No big deal. Then he has to leave, and you're like, all right, this team is so screwed because the freshmen just weren't doing it. And the, the transfers just couldn't seem to figure it out. Not named Diedrich Lawson, obviously, because he had an incredible year. But they had no front court help. They had no real depth at guard. Like, Agbaji had to come out of nowhere to essentially save their season. And then just to get blown out to lose the, uh, the streak was very fitting, I think, for Kansas. Yeah. Um, definitely a tough scene. Over there. Uh. Another game I had was uh, UCF beats Bama. They finally did it. They got they wanted them and they got them. And second year in a row. Second year in so, a row. Yes. Proving it wasn't a fluke. Absolutely. But yeah, I mean, I don't know the the teams that there are. It's so hard to look at the the year in review because it's like, oh yeah, I forgot. People actually thought Clemson was a top fifteen team at one point in the year, or UCLA was ranked. How about that? And then you see them late in the year just getting smoked by teams. Um, how about how about in Indiana? Do you have an Indiana high point this year? I was gonna say, how about people talking about Clemson's coach going to UCLA? Yeah, Those people were smart. Um, no one said that, that. I don't know who that was. Um, <laughs> did Indiana have a high point? I mean, beating Michigan State twice—that's that's would have been good. would have been phenomenal if if they ended up winning the tournament. I don't know if I want to call this a high point, but and, and really, it it feels more like a missed opportunity than anything. Um, but a little comforting that you know the season wasn't what we thought it was going to be. Um, but just the the news coming out about how Romeo Langford played 
the entire season with a torn ligament on his shooting hands, which makes sense in retrospect why he was like, honestly, such a God awful outside shooter during big 10 play um, compared to what we had seen from him at every level um, coming up to now. I mean, if you're a good shooter, you don't just randomly become a bad shooter. Right. Um, it's the same form, same basket height, all that good stuff. Um, Hoosiers taught you that. They did. They did. Um, so it would have been nice if he was able to do that for the whole season. I think we would have seen a little more of, of what fans might have expected. Um, but didn't happen. So there's that. We'll have to, to look ahead to next year. Um, but yeah, I'd say... To answer your actual question, high points, probably the in retrospect, the biggest accomplishment is beating Michigan State twice. High point at the time, probably Rob Finnessy hitting the uh, the game winner yeah. against Butler. That was a hell of a De- shot. Definitely felt like IU was good at that time, but not. Also, blowing out Marquette made me think that IU was good, but... That was just uh, whoops. That was just a shadow thinking that Marquette was actually a good team. That was everyone having their one good shooting game for Indiana, and then just never again. Like Evan Fitzner balled out, and then it took him like two and a half more months to hit a three. That's Jack White numbers right there. That's, that's good stuff. Um. <laughs> uh, I don't have too much else. I think Bull Bull's injury wasn't necessarily a high point, but it was a super important part of this point Notable. of the season. Yeah. yeah, I don't think that Oregon. This is hard to say because Oregon went to the Sweet Sixteen, but I don't think that Oregon was really going anywhere different with Bull Bull, and that sounds ridiculous to say because he is a twenty and ten three block fifty percent three point shoot guy, a shooting guy. I'll say that the offense looked stagnant more often than not with him in the game, and it was almost like – it was kind of like how Seton Hall played at points this year, which I know is so relatable for everyone, but it's you, – you have one player that's so significantly better than everyone else, and you kind of just sit there and wait for him to do something instead of actually running an offense, and that's what it felt like Oregon had when Bowl Bowl was in. And, I mean, to a larger degree, that's kind of the perception that NCAA tournament runs have on people. Like, you can have a 30-win season, losing the first round to a 14 seed, right. and the season's a failure. Yeah. Like, you can struggle all year, as Oregon did, barely make it into the tournament, and then you make it in the Sweet 16 and almost knock off the eventual national champion. Now things are starting to look up. And that's also why you see, like, coaches go on a hot streak for a weekend or two and then Andy kind of parlay that into much, much better jobs. Um, but yeah, that Oregon, for the way they they started out preseason, you know, as a, the top 10 team for how f- fast um, and far they fell to kind of Getting somewhere in the middle, the Sweet 16 run um, would have been disappointing for you know a top five team, but as somebody who had to win their conference tournament just to make the tournament, mm-hmm. and Dan Altman will take it. And I mean, they're they're not sitting around being sorry for themselves. They'll be back next year, but it it definitely puts a much more positive spin on what should have been overall a thoroughly disappointing season. 
Absolutely. And, and, you know, you got hot in March, and that's the perfect time to do it. And that's that's all they needed to do, really, to save the season. But it shows, I mean, I guess it's kind of like uh, what you were saying about Indiana, like a missed opportunity, because it shows the capabilities of this team if they can play well for, you know, an extended period of time. And it's like, well, where was this in December and January? Yeah. Just slack the the proper motivation, potentially. You have to sometimes put people's backs all the way up against the wall. Absolutely. Um, so in in recent coaching news, um, so in earlier today, Mick Cronin to oh, yeah. University of California at Los Angeles. What a... Uh, what a move that was. <laughs> That's a great way to put it. Um, That's all I can say. What did this coaching search go on for? Like 100 days? I mean, he was, he was fired mid-season. Yeah, he was fired, and, what, before the new year, I think. Like, people people were starting and finishing their um, searches in, like, under two weeks. And UCLA was still back there um, trying to work around, you know, God people's buyouts, really. like Jamie Dixon. Um, but that, I, this is my like, problem with it all. They know all that info. Right. Right. No, it's... Which is why... defending UCLA here. Like, oh, this yeah. was the Tennessee football equivalent of college basketball coaching searches. Yeah. But also, Rick Barnes offering him less money than he makes to live somewhere where it is astronomic, where the cost of living is astronomically higher was another just galaxy brain idea. But then I mean they to, were like to end up with Mick Cronin. That's tough. <laughs> that's like tough. It's, especially since, you know, UCLA isn't the Lakers, obviously. Yeah. Um, it's not necessarily showtime, but that's generally the brand that they've wanted to um, you know, show off and you know they were they were pretty fun um, for the most part under Ben Holland until he fell out of favor. And that's what their AD basically said right after they fired him is they want to play a fun brand of basketball. And then he finished with, we don't want to bring in a coach who averages 50 points a game. Once Steve Alford later, that's pretty much who you end up with. Yeah. Um, you, you've got a completely different guy who is all defense plays one of the slowest paces in the nation and the, the type of guys that you would typically expect and be able to get to UCLA. Are you going to be able to get them to play under Mick Cronin? That seems like a much tougher sell. Yeah, I would say no, but you know, I mean, you never know what the logo on a guy's chest can do. Yeah. You know, it's, it's certainly a, difference maker obviously the ucla brand is a little bit stronger than the cincinnati one but i think i mean if you just look through it though ucla was like a kingmaker for a lot of these guys kelvin sampson gets a new new raise and new deal calipari gets a deal for life rick barnes gets a new deal everybody they talk to gets a new deal and like just gets outdone by ucla you know the the conference of champions to to quote the great Bill Walton and all this prestige from like the history that they have and everything like that. And they think they can just come in and offer anyone the job and they'll be like, yep, let me just drop my top 10 job in the country right now, top 20 job and come dig UCLA out of this shithole. 
Yeah, I mean, they were they were great at getting guys paid by other people. Yes. Um, and to to go back to your earlier point, like maybe the the name on the front of the jersey at UCLA will help bring guys in. It's like I. Does I don't know if that's stay, really though? still a thing anymore. Yeah, um, I agree. Certainly, like they're they're fairly far removed from that. And I say this knowing full well that Indiana is kind of in the same boat. Um, but in-state players in Indiana it's still a little different, and the sports market in LA is just not the same at all. Um, yeah. UCLA is not not the the brand's name that it once was. It's still a brand's name, but. At this point, if you're Mick Cronin, you have to kind of rebuild that. And I think that's a much tougher sell when you're going to be playing basketball in the 50s. Because I can make the pretty fair and safe assumption, I would say, that Mick Cronin is not going to dramatically change the style of basketball he plays. Maybe he will. Maybe now that he can start recruiting better players than he did at Cincinnati, he'll just completely transform how he coaches and plays i cannot imagine i'm willing to to bet that's not gonna happen so that just makes the hire even more perplexing when you know ucla wants to be seen as one thing and then they bring in a guy who's the exact opposite maybe it's just cutting their losses because they've already embarrassed themselves enough yeah Um, but i don't know i mean if you if you read Gary Parish, he went in on UCLA, just calling them a joke of a you know a program. They've got all these people around their program calling themselves a joke and a laughing stock and all this. And it's like, at what point do you just say, "All right, we're done"? And I th- I mean honestly, I feel like that's kind of what happened. Like you just said, like Mick Cronin was clearly the guy who wanted the job from the beginning. They knew the whole way that they could get Mick Cronin, and it just turned into. Let's offer everybody else but McCrone in the job, and then you know if they all say no, then maybe we'll we'll go to him. Yeah, and McCrone's fine, whatever. Like two hundred ninety some wins, but, but it's like one Sweet Sixteen appearance in your your entire career. You've had some really good players at Cincinnati. Yeah, that doesn't really get me excited. And no, as we were talking about um, in the group me earlier, like he is. I mean, he and Cincinnati combined kind of the epitome of postseason underachievements um, the last several years. Yeah. Just in every way imaginable. This year against Iowa, last year against Nevada, haven't made the second weekend in seven years. It's They're like on their own now, too, which is what I was saying before, because Villanova was there with them before. Yeah. They just won, they've won two titles. <laughs> Uh, Virginia was there with them. You lose to a 16 seed. You constantly get bounced. You can't, you know, you play this backline defense and it doesn't work in the tournament. They win a title. Now it's like, well, it's Cincinnati and I don't even know who else. Yeah, Cincinnati has the benefit, at least, of being outside the power six. Right. So you could argue that they're not burdened by the same set of expectations, but... When you win 25 games a year... Yeah, when the... The seed next to your name is, you know, a low number. Should be expected to do better than they have done. Right. Um, Just so many factors make this not inspiring hire in the slightest. And I just don't really foresee a way where this is going to lead to a long run of success. Maybe the thinking is 
you know, the, the Pac 12s down right now. Maybe McCronin will be able to, to come in and, and win some games, have some success, or certainly do better than Murray Barto. But I don't know. It's, it doesn't make a lot of sense to me. UCLA is uh, pretty much setting a blueprint for what not to do in yeah. a college bas- basketball coaching search. They uh, they completely did the opposite of what they did in football, getting Chip Kelly. Yeah. Yep. Missed out on Josh Rosen with uh, with Chip. Yep. R.I.P. Sweet Prince. Oh man. Buzz Williams did actually go to Texas A and M, so that speculation we had last show worked out very yeah. well. I mean. Quite the revamping of their coaching ranks yeah. in revenue sports. Just dropping bags for, for Jimbo and Buzz. Buzz is a hell of a coach, too. So I think, I mean, this isn't, this shouldn't be news to anyone. But what Buzz Williams did at Virginia Tech is nothing short of incredible because of how poor a program Virginia Tech was historically in the ACC. They've made, they had made. Eight tournaments before Buzz Williams got there. They're now up to 11. He got them to their second Sweet 16, and they were a layup away from going to overtime to go to the Elite Eight. I mean, he turned them into a consistent threat and winner in three years, I believe. Like, an unbelievably quick turnaround. Now to do now to go to Texas A&M, where the, you're in the SEC, you've got unbelievable facilities and resources and everything at your disposal. You're technically home because he's from Texas and he went to A&M Kingsville, I think. The sky's the limit for this guy. Like, it, I wouldn't be shocked to see Texas A&M competing for an SEC title in two years. Yeah, former assistant at A&M, yep. too. Um, yeah, Virginia Tech was kind of a prove-it job. Um, right. Coaching in the ACC without burden of any expectations, really. Um, kind of the, the high watermark for the program was kind of being a, a joke getting around the, the tournament and the selection Sunday every year they were on the bubble and every year you would see Seth Greenberg yeah. complaining about how his team should be in and I mean obviously they made it a few years but it seems like almost every year they found themselves on the wrong side of the bubble so um, to to jump from, from Marquette to Virginia Tech you know, if he rebuilds that program, phenomenal, huge. Um, if not, you know, nobody's really expecting him to beat Duke in North Carolina anyway. Yeah. I'd say by any measurement, he knocked it out of the park. And now going to A&M with, you know, the the way the rest of the SEC is going, as we've talked about, the coaching ranks are... Freaking arms race down there. Yeah. Um, compared to where it was, you know, like five, ten years ago, to some of the names we have down there now. Um, R.I.P. Kevin uh, Stallings. Yeah. <laughs> some, some guys um, kind of looking for, for a second chance bounce back, the likes of you know Ben Howland, Rick Barnes. But, I mean, Rick Barnes more than proved his worth this year, I think. Yeah. Um, to a lot of you know other big names. And, I mean, some, some random ones, too. we got Jerry Stackhouse now coming in. Uh, the must coaching. bus. Coach and Vandy, yeah, must bus, um, Nate Oates, as we talked about, to Alabama. So, yeah, it's uh, it's going to be very interesting. And it's it's not the conference it once was for 
for Kentucky where they can almost set it and forget it. It's, uh, I mean, it's a grind every single night, and that's yeah. that's great because I mean, as the as the Pac-12 has fallen, the SEC has risen just as rapidly. So it's good. There's at least you know a power five still, um, and maybe the Pac-12 will make it back in. Yeah, you never know. Maybe the AAC takes them over. Who knows? Uh, I don't know. Losing, <laughs> losing Cronin from the AAC to the Pac-12. Uh, maybe that's the the shift of power the Pac-12 needed to to get back up there. Yeah, the the, the last job I had written down was St. John's kind of like pushes Chris Mullen out. That he he air quotes stepped down, and then I, other emotional reports, decision. Yeah. yeah, other reports said it was a buyout. I don't know what it was. Whatever it is, they needed to get him out of there. I am sad to see this happen because I loved beating Chris Mullen. It was just so much fun because he's just not a good basketball coach. I mean, you look at Patrick Ewing down at Georgetown. He is putting in the time and the effort, and it just never seemed like Chris Mullen either cared or got that he needed to do that. And you could tell from his A, coaching style, but B, his coaching staff. He had one legitimate assistant on that staff. The others were former NBA friends, and it's like, what the hell are you doing? And it's it's amazing that St. John's was able to win games as much as they did. You know, they'll always have that win over Duke last year, and however many wins, they, 20-something wins in an NCAA tournament this year. But you can't look at this team and this program and be like, he overachieved or he did even decently well. He was like 28-60 and 60 in Big East play. It was tough. Yeah. Um, the St. John's team that Indiana played in the Maui might have been one of the the worst basketball teams ever assembled. Um, yeah. And it, it honestly didn't get too much better for Chris Mullen after that. Like this year's team was extremely talented and all he could do with it was getting into the first four. Um, getting which, blown out in the first four. Yeah. And I mean, you could argue whether or not they even deserve to make that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, like if, if he really wasn't going to make it work this year, um, especially with a good amount of the big East, either, having a down year or having a transition year, um, the the league overall not being quite as strong as it's been the last several years. This was really the year, the opportunity for St. John's to, you know, really make some noise. They didn't. Um, it's going to be interesting what happens here. Obviously, Bobby Hurley's a big name. Uh, if they get Bobby Hurley, well. so help me God. Is well just just get the the guy who ended their season, but Rick Patino, did you see he threw his hat in the ring? Yeah, I mean he he likes to stay in the news. He so graciously <laughs> said, Hey, I'd love to coach St. John's. Say, yeah. But he had a ca- um, he had a caveat of like the New York bass I can't remember what the hell it was. Someone had someone owes him an apology for what they wrote about him in, during the Louisville scandal. And if they don't uh, apologize, he's taking his name out of consideration. Wow. Like, is, Rick, mean, is your name even in consideration? They're gonna, yeah, they're gonna write that apology real fast. <laughs> don't, don't want him to pull his name. I would love to see Rick Pitino in in uh, Queens just to see what it's like. Slick Rick back in New York City. Oh my god. I mean, it would, yeah, it would, the the fit would be perfect. Like the the audio visual would mm-hmm. just look seamless. Um, yeah, I don't know though. That's 
that'll be that'll be an important hire for sure because um, the the program it could still be in a good place um, or like have something to build off of but if they miss on this then they're in could trouble. go back to to where they used to be real fast yeah you know I, I wouldn't mind it but but yeah, I, I mean I, it's good certainly it's good for college basketball and it's good for the big east when st. John's is good so at the end of the day, that's what matters, kind of. You know, my team's success is above all else, but if the Big East can look good, that's great. And if college basketball is more fun, that's even better. Yeah, it's something. I know how you feel. Um, <laughs> yeah, any, uh, any final thoughts? No, I'm, I mean, we beat Kentucky. That's all. That, that's like the best thing that happened all year. Beat Kentucky and came within a shot of winning the Big East when uh, I was the only one that expected them to make the tournament. So credit to me for being right. <laughs> yeah, um, very, very noble. Yep, I was the only one outside of that locker room that thought they were a tournament team. But, hey, it was uh, a quick year. It was a fun year. It's certainly frustrating for us in uh, January, February when we had the combined double-digit losing streak, but we survived, and there's always next was- year was super fun. Um, all right. So be it for us. Keep reading the blog. Let me be frank blog.com. Uh, we will see you next time. Whenever that is. You're a shooting star. All those years. No one knows. Just how hard you work. But now we're shows. That one shining moment. Inside, in one shining moment, you knew you were alive. Feel the beat of your heart, feel the wind in your face. It's more than a contest, it's more than a race. Your best, cause inside you 